Emeetialatis is from the Samoan village of Lanomanu in Upulu. He was born in Lower Hutt and attended Parkway College and Wellington College. He played 65 games for Wellington, 101 games for the Hurricanes, and was capped 43 times for the All Blacks as a prop forward. He then went over to France to play for Bayonne, Toulouse, and Narbonne. He has since returned home where he runs a pharmacy with his wife Sally. He also has his own wine business. How's it going, bro? How's the week been? I hear you've been on holiday up in uh, Taupo. How did that go for you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, much needed rest. Um, we've been going hard since uh, October last year. So, and right, obviously right through the lockdown with COVID. And so, um, yeah, we thought we'd take a, a week of a break and uh, head away to Taupo with the kids. Nice one. Nice. So, uh, Nimir, uh, you were born in Lower Hutt, but you moved to Americans, American Samoa for a few years with your family as a toddler before returning to New Zealand. Can you tell us a bit yeah. about your just your late parents, Sipotasi and the Reverend Palema, the way they brought you up and the memories you and your three sisters had growing up as kids? Oh, that's a good question. I've never had this question before. Um... Uh, my sort of fondest memories of my parents growing up uh, and the way that, that they've taught me and my sisters were um, was always to to be humble and and God first and family um, which is what I've always been about and even throughout my rugby career and, and to this day now I have kids um, sort of try to try to pass that on to them um, but uh, yeah, not not too much memories. Uh, obviously, my my father passed away when uh, when I was about nine, I think. And then my mother passed away when I was about thirteen. So yeah, um, but we were lucky enough that my um, my mother's uh, sister took us in uh, with her five kids. Who, uh, who I call my brothers and sisters. Uh, so we we were lucky. We had a massive, uh, obviously a massive family. Um, heaps of us kids in, in a three-bedroom house. Um, and my auntie became my mother. And, well, she became my hero growing up. Um, and to this, to this day, she's still, she's still around. Um, she obviously lives with my sister over in Wainui. And I go and see her quite regularly. And I take my kids over to... To uh, to see her and say hello, and we take her out uh, now and then, and and also see her uh, at church as well. So, yeah. So you play. You mentioned Wainuiamata there. Uh, you played rugby league for the Wainuiamata League Club as a junior. How much of an influence did the Wainuiamata League Club have on you and on your career? Uh, yeah, well, that was where I started. Um, I was quite fortunate that I um, that I was in a part of uh, I think it was Wainui under tens or under elevens where I, I met uh, the likes of Pity Whippy, who's one of my best mates, uh, David Faumi, uh, who played with the Cowboys and also went on to be a Kiwi, um, and also Paul Fatuira. So 
Yeah, look, um, that played a big part in uh, in, in my career. Obviously, uh, playing with those guys and seeing the way um, see see them uh, develop uh, within within the what do you call it sports that they were doing and uh, wanting to be a part of that and and then obviously it's gone full circles and then um, just meeting up with them uh, you know in Wainui and just talking about the good old days. You attended Parkway yeah. College in uh, Wainui Mata, Nimea, and Wellington College in the city. What was student were you? And what were some of the academic and sporting moments that <laughs> really stood out for you in both of these schools? Uh, yeah, I went to Parkway College, and oh, she wasn't. Um, I wouldn't say I was a good student. I was. I was a bit naughty. Um, I was there for three years, and then that's it's probably a blessing in disguise because. Um, Obviously, if I had stayed there and, um, and finished off my, my senior years there, I wouldn't have been the person who I am today and had made it this far. Obviously, um, there, was, there was a group of us, and it was, it was, it was myself, uh, David Faumi, who, who was good mates of mine, and, and Pity as well at the time. We all were all at Parkway College at the same time, and... Um, our deputy principal said to us, sat, sat us down and said, look, um, um, if we uh, if we basically hang around, you know, stay in Wainui, we, we won't get any further than, than, <laughs> than Oshie Wainui. So he did us a good favour and said to us, look, I think it's best uh, if you guys um, uh, look elsewhere for schooling opportunities. And so that's how, how it all started. And... Just by chance, um, I tried. I tried. Tried my luck over here in, in the hat with St Bernard's, and uh, the, the headmaster there turned me down. He said that uh, there was too many uh, Wainui boys that, that were there at the school at the time. Oh. So I said, "Oh, yes, we did." But then my uncle uh, um, took me out to Wellington College because he had uh, a few good friends um, who had sons that, that were at the school. And he said that, uh, look, uh, I think I can get you in there. Or at least a, a meeting with the headmaster, Roger Moses. So went there and straight away he accepted me. I hated it. First day I hated it because uh, uh, I obviously had to wear a uniform. Uh, and it was the all boys school. So <laughs> yeah, that's quite weird for me. And then, um, and yeah, I think the biggest thing that... Oh, that I sort of learned when I got to Wellington College was the um, how passionate the boys were about um, about the school, um, how proud they were, um, and wearing the school uniform, and how they conducted themselves around in the public eye, and and also in the classrooms and that. So it was a big difference and big shift from uh, Parkway College in Wainui. So. Um, that was a massive uh, change for me and a massive wake-up call. And, and like I said, a, a, probably a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, the scrum doctor, Mike Cron, is one of your mentors. And I believe you lived with him for a brief period of time early in your career. How did this all come about? And how much of an influence was Mike Cron on you? Um... I believe it was a, uh, a training session that he 
that we we were part of. I can't I can't remember exactly. Um, I think it was either the Hurricanes or an All Black sort of session where I was part of the Wellington team and I went into um, just to help out. And uh, he saw me pat down against the likes of um, uh, Greg Somerville, um, uh, who else was there? Case News, Carl Hoff. Um, these are the guys that um, that took me through a um, a training session a year before when I was at school. So oh, she kind of spotted me out there and um, uh, invited me down to his, uh, his first ever sort of like front row. Uh, coaching clinic and we spent uh, so I flew down from Wellington and I I met up with um, a guy from Auckland who's uh, his name is John Afour. Uh there was also uh, White Crockett was there um, who else was there a few of the boys and then uh, yeah we spent um, I think a few a couple of weeks down in Christchurch or Kono and, uh, and it was just all about scrummaging. Um, and obviously at the time I was playing Lucid, so I didn't know much about the tight head side, but he um, he insisted that I learnt uh, how to pack down on the tight head side. And then obviously a couple of years after that, I was playing both sides um, and did it quite well. So yeah, that's how I first uh, got to come across Connor and yeah. So a year after making your debut for Wellington in the NPC, you made your debut for the Hurricanes where you played over 101 games. The closest you got to a championship was that infamous fog final down in Christchurch against the Crusaders in 2006. And I was at that game, bro. And I was up on the high grandstand. And um, I tell you what, I think I missed 79 minutes of that game as well. Um, uh, yeah. Can you talk us through how the team prepared for that game? And of course, what was it like playing in that weird game? Yeah, it was strange, man. Leading up to it, we knew we uh, we knew we had them because we played them uh, during the obviously uh, round robin, and, and I can't remember how, what the score was, but yeah, we lost to them. But we knew uh, going into into finals that uh, we had them because we were on fire uh, leading up to that, and flipping out. Everything was going well. Um, their training that week was, I, I, all I remember, it just went really quick and the boys was just on edge and ready, like, ready to go. And just before, because half, I mean, uh, during the warm-up wasn't too bad as well. It was as soon as the, uh, we ran out to do the, uh, to the anthem and that, they probably couldn't see anything. It was weird, but they should have, um, to this day, I, I think that they should have called the game off or something like that, postponed it for, maybe uh, half an hour to wait until that fog passed. But obviously we played it and uh, yeah, it is what it was. I still remember my mate probably, uh, getting knocked out. Uh, I think that was the only thing I saw. So looking back, yeah. at, looking back at your Hurricanes career, Nimir, uh, which moment stood out for you the most? Obviously you played with a whole bunch of superstars. But yeah, which moment stood out for you? Oh, it's hard to um, yeah, it's hard to pick. Um, I played with so many good players, uh, obviously legends of the game. Um, I went to I, I bumped into you boys. Uh, was it last week? A week before? Oh yeah. 
and, and that was my I think my second game that I've gone back to watch uh, Hurricanes and I was just watching them and I was like flipping uh, I can imagine when I, I, I was like thinking uh, like um, wait, sorry my kids have just arrived that's all good right? I was just thinking of uh, I was just thinking of how lucky I was uh, back when I started um, and um, yeah, superstars all around me and just watching those boys the other night um, yeah it just wasn't the same eh? <laughs> hey, so who, who were some of your closest mate, uh, mates at the Hurricanes in there? and do you still meet up and catch up with them these days uh, well, well obviously my best mate is I grew up with obviously Pity he lives down the road from me so I see him like <laughs> every, every morning because we catch up to obviously train and that in the mornings and uh, who else is there? Uh, Ma as well. Um, another one I met earlier on in um, our school days and that. Um, and then obviously the the older the older boys, the older brothers like uh, Tana and that. Obviously from being from Waimu, um and Jerry and all that. So yeah, pretty close. I suppose with um, Pity on your team, you'll never be short of Kai Moana, eh, bro? <laughs> oh mate, that's it. Uh, yeah, whenever we wanted a, a day off or a week off, we'd tell Pity to go go for a dive, to, to give it to, your, to to the coaches and that get, get us a week off. <laughs> hey, so in um, 2005, you made your All Blacks debut against Wales at the Millennium Stadium uh, alongside your good friend Chris Masoy. Uh, the All Blacks won that day, 41 to three, as part of a Grand Slam tour. What do you remember most about your first test in the black jersey? Leading it, like the days leading up, the game itself, and and afterwards. Oh, bro, wicked man! I um, yeah, the week went really quick. All I remember was uh, what I remember was being told that I was going to start um, my first test, and um, and the build up to it was awesome. Um, had a lot of media to do. Um, and all I remember uh, was was obviously, yeah, funny funny story was we're doing the the warm up in that, and I was looking around the stadium and I was like, flip. Obviously they 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 hold a I think it was eighty eighty plus thousand people. I'm I'm standing there at a lineup warm up and I'm saying to um I said to uh, Ali Williams at the time I said, fuck, bro, there's there's no one here. But like, you know normally during the the warm up. Like it's hissing, everyone's there, like you know. And so he just gave me a wink and he said, "Oh, just, just wait, brother. Just you'll wait, wait and see." So we go back into the change rooms, and I'm putting my boot, boot on, and um, and it's just yeah, couldn't hear the noise or anything. So I thought it was a sold out crowd. So I think there's a photo. Um, one of the photographers, oh, I've got it on my laptop actually. Um, we come out of a tunnel, and actually, when you come out of a tunnel, there's a, there's a couple of steps, and all you can see is just a pitch, and it's just a tunnel down. So uh, we come out of the tunnel. Just, I still couldn't hear anything until you come out of that tunnel, and the noise just hits you, bro. And uh, there's this photo where <laughs> I nearly tripped. I actually hit the last step, and uh, nearly uh, did the full cartwheel in there. But um. Yeah, I've got a photo of that, and uh, yeah, something that was funny, man. I look at it now, and I'm, I still remember that moment. 
So that that when the actually hit the field and the crowd hits you, the noise hits you, I'm like, look, now this is this is everything I dreamt of uh, of being an All Black, and and actually playing my first Test as well. Something very special. Uh, obviously, did the anthem. Can't remember doing the haka, and then obviously can't remember playing the game. But I played the full game, and and we smoked them. <laughs> Beautiful result. <laughs> yeah. um, one of your biggest strengths, Nimi, is um, you having the ability to prop on both sides of the scrum. Um, did this come naturally to you, and how much preparation was involved to ensure that you remain strong in both of these positions, loose head and um, tight head? Uh, yeah, it wasn't naturally. Um, it wasn't. It didn't come overnight. It took uh, took years of um, trying to. Uh, I was trying to master. Uh, obviously, the the tight head side's the hardest because you've got the you've got the loose head and the hooker's head there. Where on the loose head side, all you're worrying about is obviously the tight head. So back in the well, back when I was playing, it was the uh, the old the old crouch and then just fucking dive in mm. and I used to come down to the quickest uh, obviously the quickest off the mark was would be and the lowest to get you know the first thing to, to you know as low as you can so that's how it was back when I I was playing and um, that was just a, a skill that I had to um, it was like repetition like it's one of those things you have to stay on top of, like a like a golf, like you know, your golfers in that way. Um, yeah, just more reps, man. That's that's what it came down to. In two thousand and seven, the IRB introduced the experimental laws, which sped up the game and meant that front rowers would need to be more mobile around the park. How much of an effect did these laws have on your own personal game? Um. Yeah, they said that every year I played and there was nothing wrong with it. I just adapted and obviously, um, it just, yeah, just changed the way I played uh, every year. We keep changing these laws. No, nothing at all. Um, uh, I think I was criticised in my early years for being probably one of the pioneers of uh, a floating um, prop forward who was like, always in the outside the obviously standing at first five or first receiver. Um, but I sort of took it upon myself that I would, I'd be the best in the world at, at doing it and trying to bust the, the, the first tackler. So it's, and it's what I I usually did. Um, but then obviously the, obviously the, the game changed with the, uh, with the way the, uh, you know, they, they've taken, they took the contact out of the scrums. So it meant that it was more, um, yeah, you hardly saw any pushing or anything like that. Because by the time you try and push it, that the opposition will just collapse it and, and you get the 50-50 call from the referee. So apart from that, um, no, nah, I don't think um, you know, it affected me much. Hey, you were part of that um, 2007 side that lost to France um, and was spoken to Sir Steve Hansen and Wayne Smith about this match. As a player, what were your memories of that match and how much did you learn from that particular game in 2007? Mm, hell. Uh, <laughs> um, everything went wrong for us that day. That's all I remember. Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, preparing for preparing for the worst because I think leading up to it, we were on fire for a few years, um, and obviously a lot of things didn't go our way, and and the boys just didn't know what to do, and that was probably the first time ever we didn't have a, an answer for for that. Where I know nowadays, I, I know that um, from that they. They took a lot of earnings and lessons. And now they've got plan A right down to Z. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that come out of it. Um, apart from that, it is what it is. And, you know, you win some, you lose some. And it just had to be that time. <laughs> so you played your final test against Wales in 2010. Looking back at your All Blacks career, what were you most proud of? Um, to be honest, I think um, would have to be uh, just doing what I love with, with with my mates. You know, everyone that I um, that I was a part of um, in, in that black jersey, um, they're all good good guys, and they're all. all, all to this day are all my good mates and um, they're guys that I can actually pick up the phone and uh, just carry on from where we left off you know so I think that's yeah that's that's what I um, take out of it You've also impressed off the field by designing and selling t-shirts raising thousands of dollars for the victims of the 2009 Samoan earthquake and the tsunami and for your home village of Laromanu um, which was badly affected you also helped raise $30,000 for the Christchurch earthquake victims by organising a charity basketball game. How important is it for you, Nehemiah, to give back to the community? Huge. Uh, obviously, um, like we're fortunate. You know, the players nowadays are fortunate um, that we paid well. Uh, we looked after pretty well too. So I think uh, if there's anything we could do with, um, with our profile to help out, then, um, yeah, then why not? Um, um, yeah, I was just—I was just one of those guys that whatever, whatever was going on, I sort of put my hand up first to, to sort of lead the way and that sort of thing. Um, and it's—it's it's quite rewarding to see guys like, uh, like Ari Savia who's doing that nowadays. You know, and it's pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, that's just what we—that's what we—that's uh, what we did. Um, not, not only myself, but I know. Like Pity and uh, even Corey Jane were, were a part of that as well. Um, but yeah, just giving back, man, you have to. Just touching on those t-shirts you designed. So you're, you're quite a creative person. I don't think many people know this. But do you want to talk a little bit more about, um, you've got a degree, don't you, in uh, design, is that correct? Or Yeah, design, visual arts. Yep. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so that's my first love and first, my actual first uh, sort of passion was was designing and drawing and painting, just whatever I can get my hands to, and just creating. Um, I still do a, a bit of that. Um, obviously, with the wine business, I um, I do a lot of that with our packaging and all all of that stuff and designing the bottles and yeah, so, it's quite good. Um, Especially when you're full on playing, training, traveling, um, you know, you need an outlet, you need something like that where you can just 
zone out and um, and just do you and it helps you uh obviously freshen freshen you up for the week um well, that's what it did for me and um and also creates a bit of balance as well so you are all just uh, about rugby that's right exactly so in 2011 you uh, make the big move over to france and you went on to play rugby for Bayonne, Toulouse, and Narbonne. What was it like living and playing in France? Oh, awesome, man. Loved my time there. Uh, we could have easily stayed there and lived there forever and ever, but uh, we had these two girls over there, and we thought we'd bring them back home to, to be, obviously be closer to family and, and obviously home. So, now we loved our time over there. Um, um, Met a lot of good people, um, and obviously got to continue my uh, my career there with um, with a lot of my good mates from here too that we know them and did the same. So that was awesome, man. In 2015, your good friend Jerry Collins and his partner Alana Medill died in a tragic car accident, and their baby daughter Ayla survived. You and Chris Musoi were there to support Ayla and the family at this time. How does this tragic moment affect you personally and how much of an impact did Jerry and his family have on you? Um, yeah, tough one. I sort of, I, to this day, it still hasn't really sunk in that he's, that he's gone. I was, I was obviously one of the first, um, I had to go and identify his body. Um, and even so, I, I sat there for like, I mean, if, the week that I had um, there to dress him and and spend with him, I you know I just sat there and just like chatted away like as if he was still alive. And obviously the bent and the and the jokes that you know that was flying um, through uh, through vodkas that were heavy. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, tough times, but. Um, I'm just happy and glad that um, that actually Ayla is, I mean, survived and, and she's doing really well. Um, but uh, yeah, to this day, I, I miss him. But, uh, yeah, I, I still can't, I can't get it through my head that he's actually gone, gone. Which is why I still haven't been up to a cemetery to see him. Mm. Mm. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. Uh, so you now you're you're back in New Zealand. Uh, you now run a pharmacy with your wife Sally in Brooklyn here in Wellington, and you run your own wine business. Um, so you're still keeping very busy. So how's that all going for you? And and what anything else on the horizon for you and your family? Um, no, just too busy with that. Eh? The pharmacy's full on, and then obviously with the wine business too. Um, that's slowly taking off. Uh, we've got a lot of products that are coming, new products coming in. Um, hopefully at the end of the year. Um, and also having two young girls, um, I sort of promised them that I'll put, um, you know, a lot more time into them uh, when we come back home and let the missus work the pharmacy. But uh, that's gone out the window and I'm sort of down there every day. Um, I was lucky enough that I got to finish work early and come home early. <laughs> Normally I'm still there um, late on a Monday. Um, and we're also lucky that we've got 
beautiful grandparents that are sort of full-on uh, hands-on with the kids as well. So they, have, they help out a lot, uh, which makes it easy for us. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still young in this, this business sort of scene and we, we're just on the grind and trying to, trying to do what's, uh, what, we, what we need to do now to ensure that it's uh, all good for the kids later on. Yeah, for sure. Can't oh. to that. What's the name of your wine business? Do you want to do a little plug? Just for our listeners and our viewers? Oh, yeah. Deux Chevaux. So, um, Deux Chevaux is, um, is, we created a company here in New Zealand and it's, uh, but all our, our wine and product in there, it's all produced in South of France and Narbonne. Um, with my good friend and business partner, uh, Camille Lapa. And he's my wine guy, so yeah. Hey, we've got a bit of a challenge for you, Nemia. We do this at the end of every podcast before we wrap it up. So it's called Nine and Ten. So we're going to give you um, one topic, and to that one topic, you've got to give us nine answers. So if we said Ooh. to you, name nine currencies in the world, you'd say Canadian dollar, American dollar, Thai bar. Vietnamese dong, things like that. So you got the uh, stopwatch there, bro? Alrighty. You should get this one because um, it, it was it was in your area why you uh, play rugby over in France. So we're expecting that. Uh, but you got to be quick on your feet on this one, though, bro. Alrighty. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Ten, Ten seconds. Ten seconds. All right, here we go. Nimir Tialata from Wainuiamata. <laughs> Name for me in 10 seconds, nine Countries in Europe. Go. Oh, shucks. Uh, Italy. Um, fucking uh, Spain. Is that one? It's harder than what you think, bro. And like we always say, once you get off here, you'll remember all the countries in Europe, eh? So, uh, yeah, man. Not many have got it. We've done about 20 episodes, and we think we've only had two, maybe two or three winners. So, uh, right, I'm used to that. Yeah, sorry about that. No worries. Hey, thank you so much for your time tonight and um, you take care and I hope the business goes well and uh, all the very best for the future. Uh, no worries, guys. And uh, appreciate for uh, you know, having me on and all the best with you guys as well. <laughs>